Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head-to-head. Today, we are joined by special guest Matt King from Hoot in a Half as we tackle the pressing issue of Disney Channel original movies. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis, Alden Mason, and Jory Boston. But we're doing it. Let's watch a Disney Channel movie. That's right, Matt. We are watching a Disney Channel movie. In fact, 32 of them today going head to head in a madness bracket. These are like the OGs. Matt handpicked these movies and also the seating for this bracket. You want to go a little bit into how you went about doing this, Matt? Yes, Nate. We have been going back and forth on this since October. I remember on Halloween, and I was talking to my friends and people of this generation going, do you remember this movie? Do you remember this movie? Because we had such a wide range of films of the DECA era uh, to pick from, and they had to be uh, whittled down to the final, how many is this, Nate? Uh, 32. Final 32, which was very, very difficult and very, very hard. Apologies to anybody who is tuning in, and you see that one of your favorite DECA movies did not make the cut. Um, You can put all the blame on me or blame all the people that I consulted with of what they remembered and what they didn't remember. So uh, yes, Nate, do you want to explain which ones we did take off and which ones we felt qualified? So essentially we kind of went with like the OG batch in a way as best as we could. There are over a hundred Disney Channel original movies and I've actually covered the modern ones on this channel already. Check out Megan and I's tier list of some of the more modern recent ones, including Descendants, the High School Musical sequels, if you're into those. But our primary focus with this was kind of capturing the ones through the the late 90s and early 2000s, capturing that good old Disney Channel original movie nostalgia in this bracket. Yes, and we made a few rules. If it was part of a franchise, it didn't make the cut. And if it was part of a sequel, it didn't make the cut. So there's no Xenon the sequel or... Um, what's the Halloween Town sequels are not in it. The only franchise uh, from a Disney Channel show uh, is the Even Stevens movie because it's actually pretty, pretty good. But yeah, those are the rules we made. It kind of made it more simpler, but I'm pretty pleased with our selection. And also the panelists, Alden, Josh, Jory, and myself have created summaries for all of these who are in that Gen Z audience like ourselves who might not have caught all of these movies initially. Um, they're all available on Disney Plus, all 32 of these. So definitely, if you find an interest after watching these, check them out. And that's on period, right? You know, Gen Z? We're just out here being humorous. Up first, we've got uh, Under Wraps going up against Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire. I have the summary for Under Wraps, so let me just get this started. The first Disney Channel original movie, and also the network's first attempt at making a horror-themed film, Under Wraps is about three horror movie geek 12-year-olds who sneak into their dead neighbor's abandoned house and find a mummy in the basement. Wacky shenanigans ensue as the group try to return him to his sarcophagus by midnight of Halloween before he turns to dust. I personally think that this film is pretty bold for the first entry in this like format of children's programming. And I also appreciate the casting of uh, Bill Fagerbake as the voice of Patrick Starr is what he's most known for in SpongeBob SquarePants. But he has a unique double role playing both Harold the Mummy and the main character's stepfather in this film. And as the side plot involves the character not adapting well to the new father figure in his life, kind of like mirrored with this mummy from the dead. And I think it's I think it's really great. No way. It's Patrick the star who plays the mummy. And the stepdad, yeah. How did I not know this? <laughs> this is why I write summaries, Matt. We, we, we learn trivia every time. Wow. 
you know, for the longest time, I thought this movie was actually called Unwrapped, but that's just the food show with Mark Summers. <laughs> <laughs> I always got them confused. Um, unfortunately, there's no trivia in my summary, but I'll do my best. Mom's got a date with a vampire. A genuinely fun and hilarious blood-sucking romp will have you and your whole family howling at the moon. When Lynette Hansen grounds her two oldest children, they hatch a plan to sneak out by finding someone to take their mom on a date. Unfortunately for them, the guy they find turns out to be a sexy vampire. After the young youngest child is the only witness to his mother's new beau's transformation into a bat, he takes it upon himself to hire famed vampire hunter Malachi Van Helsing. The two then buddy up on an adventure to stop his mom from enthralling her and feasting upon her blood, while the other two children try to keep mom's date going until they also discover the true nature of this beast. Featuring fun locales such as a fancy restaurant, a club with live music where Lynette used to sing, and the town fair, this lovely evening out ends with the entrapment of the vampire in his own coffin with the help of silver-plated nails and a perfect free frame and voiceover this movie is extremely cheesy which i got the gist was like the whole deal with a lot of these movies because i missed the boat on most if not all of these but out of all of them that i watched for this video this was easily my favorite i love this movie and i highly recommend it i agree i agree i enjoy it more than under wraps though i respect under wraps for being the first disney channel original movie of all time no I feel like they aired this one more than Under Wraps, so that's why I'm way more familiar with it. I also love Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The aunt plays the mom, and I, I and I always love there's that little song in the movie where she's like, there's a spotlight in your eyes, and I'm feeling hypnotized. And that just stuck with me. I don't know why, but uh, I, like, <laughs> I like this one more than Under Wraps. What really stuck out with me is actually the opening scene of the entire Disney Channel original movie craze that is still going on uh, over 23 years later. In Under Wraps, this movie starts with actually a Nightmare on Elm Street parody, like a serial killer on the loose who uh, like essentially like off camera kills a dad by shoving his head down a garbage disposal. Holy shit. And it's like a movie that the kid on TV is watching, but that's, that's the opening shot. It's, it's a made for TV horror movie that this kid is watching. And I think there's a lot of charm in this as well. I really love the middle kid from Beethoven who plays the geeky nerdy friend with glasses in this movie, reprises his role from Beethoven and is in a kooky little mummy movie. This one's really charming to me. And I really like the uh, kind of found father dynamic again with like that mummy and the stepfather dual character role. I think it's uh, it's very unique compared to a lot of the other scripts later down on this bracket. Nate, you explain things so well. Everyone else can vote. I vote Wom on a got a date with a vampire i'm going with the one i've seen this might be unfair <laughs> mom's got a date with a vampire alden josh time to weigh in under wraps or mom's got a date with a vampire like like nate maybe not as much as me i do enjoy a good father-son arc and when nate mentioned that about the mummy you know i'm gonna give my votes under wraps oh here it comes all right alden we're tied up are you gonna be a hero or a villain this episode i'm not really sure i i, I am leaning towards under wraps though so i think i'm just gonna commit fuck i gotta say the poster for under wraps they were really excited it was the first disney channel original movie it was it was the iron man of its day yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this next one, this next one is hard, is very hard. There is some contention in this next one. We have the Disney Channel original movie Phenomenon that spawned more sequels than any other Disney Channel original movie, Halloween Town, up against the cult classic Don't Look Under the Bed. I know Halloween Town is a classic. Everybody watches it still to this day. It's like 
almost as up to par as hocus pocus as when the halloween season comes the thing about don't look under the bed one it's the most terrifying disney channel original movie that they ever made and it was so terrifying that in 2006 i'm pretty sure disney channel ceased like all the annual rebroadcasts of it so there was a period from 2006 and honestly up till now to disney plus where you could not access this movie anywhere I, it may have been uploaded on this movie terrified me as a child halloween town is delicate and gets spooky and everything but it's sometimes really great when there's a scary movie that that really stays with you i just enjoy this on how uh much of a gem it is and how long it was kept in like the disney vault and now that it's back in our hands i adore don't look under the bed i know some of you gen zers may have not seen it but I I made sure to watch this as soon as it finally re-released. I like Don't Look Under the Bed a lot. It reminds me of the Goosebumps television show in a lot of ways. I do want to hear the descriptions real quick because I think for people that don't know, it might shed more context into what these are about. Halloween Town, the town, not the movie, is the only place where the supernatural beings can live a normal life. But now there are sinister forces of evil threatening to take over Halloween Town. So the witch known as Aggie Cromwell travels to the mortal world to enlist her family to help save the town. When they follow their grandma back to Halloween Town, they are shocked to find out that they not only come from a family of witches, but are now involved in a fight against the evil. Yeah, this was a yearly watch for me for a while. Definitely. I do apologize. I dropped the ball on this one. And as Matt was talking about, I am still one of those Gen Zers who has not seen this movie. <laughs> but don't look under the bed. A teen enlists the help of an imaginary friend named Larry Houdini to deal with a prank-playing boogeyman who's framing her for his dastardly deeds. I think it's pretty clear where the panel is leaning on this one because I'm also leaning towards Don't Look Under the Bed, the story of a banned horror movie that was also accessible for kids from the Disney Channel is extremely interesting, especially if it has 90s Goosebumps vibes. I'm all for it. Yeah, where I am going to draw a line in the sand for me personally, and this is something I'm probably going to be arguing quite a bit moving forward. The cultural relevancy of Halloween Town is something that can't be understated. And while I think that the sequels do have a steep drop off in quality after the third one, there is some really good like world building and characters in this Halloween Town that made it stand out as a cut above the rest from pretty much most of the other movies on this bracket. Some great use of practical effects too. Yeah, a lot of great like masks and character design and like makeup and you can really see every like drop of the $2 million it costs to produce this movie, which for people that don't know much about movie production is like nothing budget wise. For made for TV quality in the late 90s, I think Halloween Town is perfectly charming and honestly has aged a lot better than other kind of novelty uh, special effects heavy things of that budget like Babes in Toyland. This is honestly way more charming still uh, 20 something years removed. Oh, Nate, why do you always phrase things so well? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't do debate club in high school, so. Well, I, I did speech. I didn't do debate. Everyone thinks I'm Mr. Debater, but really that's where I lacked. I just am good at 
listening to myself talk. But, God, okay, if you really want Halloween Town to go on, by all means, Nate, do it. You know, you're Megan's boyfriend. I still have to. That's my name. The thing is, I was the one who came up with this name, okay? I know Don't Look Under the Bed is not going to make it probably down to the final two. But Halloween Town, if we were breaking the best Halloween-themed Disney Channel original movies, Halloween Town, I think it could beat it right now, going head-to-head with Don't Look Under the Bed. But if we're looking at the Roscoe of Disney Channel original movies in history, an underrated one, I think this is the perfect time to give it a spotlight. I'll tell you what, Matt. I didn't think I was going to get out of that first round with under wraps. I'm willing to give you Don't Look Under the Bed. Yes! Is everyone else cool with that? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yes! Yeah. Thank you, Megan's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> this is a battle for the ages. These movies are strikingly similar. Josh, what is the 13th year about? So in my research, I found some letterbox reviews that I had to just quote because... <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, This one by uh, Eric. In 1999, all you had to do was be the most popular kid in school was was be named Cody. That's it. That's all you needed. (laughs) Okay. Respect. One by Zara. Damn, how come this little shit got to be mer- got to be a mermaid and I didn't? I feel that. I feel that. What's better than a mermaid or more man? Children's movie. You probably say a lot of things, but you are so fucking wrong. This movie deserves every award. God, I wish I turned into a mermaid when I hit puberty. But we all can be mermaid orphans dropped on a stranger's boat. Only the lucky few, I suppose. I love when he's on the ceiling of the locker room after he's walked in on while in his half mermaid form. Mermaids can't walk on walls or ceilings, but no rules apply to this kid, apparently. I think about being a mermaid every single day. (laughs) I completely didn't recognize this by the poster until you said the second review. All right. So the 13th year is going up against the luck of the Irish. Uh, March 9th, 2001 was the release date. One of the more memorable ones from my childhood, personally, uh, luck of the Irish is about 15 year old basketball player, Kyle Johnson, who relies on a lucky gold coin for his success. He discovers that his mom is Irish and that he is in a bloodline of leprechauns and has to break the spell by defeating an evil leprechaun, Seamus McTiernan, who steals his lucky coin. One interesting thing you might know about this film is there's actually a 2012 Bollywood remake called Luck Luck Kaibot that sounds really, really interesting. Whoa. Whoa. I'm checking out that, and I think, honestly, we should do a commentary track of the Bollywood remake of The Luck of the Irish. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds keno. These movies are, like, strikingly similar. They're both about, like, like, a early teen... Uh, hitting puberty, not hitting his stride, and then becoming like a mystical creature. 13th year might have come out first, but I'm totally on luck of the Irish camp here. It is a way more entertaining movie upon rewatch for me. It has like basketball theming and like it's a sports movie at heart, but it's also like this way off the deep end fantasy movie. His mom's like CGI shrunken into a leprechaun. Yes. Evil leprechaun is hilarious. It's yes, the CGI is actually really impressive for like a low budget like film. And the shots are really decent, I think. Like there's like this nice motion to it. It's not as like, I don't know, still and corny as a lot of the other Disney Channel movies during that time. But this movie is also really corny and it knows it. Like it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um the 13th year I do love. My favorite thing I really just love about the movies are just the celebrities that are in it. Like you have Dave Coulier from Full House. And fun fact, Kristen Stewart is in the 13th year. I was waiting for it. For a fraction of the se- of a second during the water fountain scene. Wait, is someone typing right now? Are they trying to find like Kristen Stewart? <laughs> yeah, Jory's definitely doing that. <laughs> Shit, that was me. <laughs> Luck of the Irish. I love just also the Irish representation. My parents used to take me to like these like Irish step dancing like nights. 
and I used to hate it. And then when this movie came out, it made me like kind of think it was cool. This was a very uh, good, uh, I don't know, awakening with my Irish faith. Uh, that until Macklemore made that Irish representation song or whatever. Uh, as a fellow Irish uh, heritage individual, I agree. I remember asking my parents more about our heritage after watching this movie. And for some reason, they misunderstood me and asked and thought I was asking about inheritance. And I was like, no, mom, dad, I know we're broke. I meant heritage. One more final thing, though. I have this like guilty pleasure. I love looking up the Instagram of the kid who played uh, the main guy in the 13th year. He, he didn't really go off to become that successful of an actor, but he's still on his Instagram. It's like, yo, what's up? It's me, Ches Starbuck from the 13th year. Yo, what a, what a fucking name that guy has. Ches Starbuck. I know what kind of name is that? Chad Starbuck. Um, but he's still plucking that same little note, just saying, remember me from the 13th year. Does he have a does he have a cameo? Can we get him for the beginning of this episode? <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. We should have got He does have a cameo. I just found it. How, how much is this? Hi, I'm Chez Starbuck, and you're watching Duel of the Takes. I'm not going to out him by saying how much he's worth, Josh. That's rude. Bro, it would be so funny to get him to do the Disney Channel thing. Okay, but can Luck of the Irish move on despite this gag? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Luck of, the Ir- Luck of the Irish is my favorite uh, Teen Wolf ripoff. Let's get him to say Luck of the Irish is moving on. Oh my god. Up next, we've got the two surfing movies. We've got Johnny Tsunami up against Rip Girls. Let me just start with Johnny Tsunami real quick. Johnny Tsunami is the story of Johnny Kapahala, a Hawaiian surfer teen who lives happily with his parents and grandfather, surfing legend Johnny Tsunami, until one day his father gets relocated for work in Vermont. At his new school, he gets bullied for his surfer dude aesthetic, even though in today's Vermont, he would be worshipped as some sort of chill, lib-left deity, and decides to pick up snowboarding because it's as close as he can get to surfing. Then, after, you know, more montages of being bullied, Johnny wagers his grandfather's rare surfing medallion to race a skier for sharing rights of the mountain. Johnny wins, and the family throws a party for Johnny as he is no longer bullied. He becomes accepted into the new snowboarding and skiing culture of this mountain in Vermont. Jory, what is Rip Girls about? Bro, who even cares? Johnny Tsunami wins. I agree. <laughs> all, all you need to know about Rip Girls is that she's the little girl who dies at the beginning of Jurassic Park Lost World by all the little... After doing some quick research, I've been told by Letterboxd that this is one of the most capitalist Disney movies that ever made. Johnny Tsunami or Rip Girls? Rip Girls. The most anti-capitalist Disney Channel original movie. I could see it. The basic premise is like she owns land in Hawaii somehow. This like vaguely Hawaiian looking girl who has two white parents land in Hawaii for some reason. And she's like trying to get in touch with like where she comes from because apparently she is Hawaiian in this movie and like learning to surf is a part of that. But there are also this like corporation that wants to buy the land and like turn it into a resort. And obviously she rejects that because every story that goes this way does it. But like, bro, Rip Girl sucks. I know. Man, I've seen that entire storyline in Hallmark movies at least six times. Someone on their box says, we stand an anti-capitalist Hawaiian queen. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to wait for Moana to come out. Anyway, we're moving on to the Alden Spectacular round, where he is going to tell us about the climate control theming of the ultimate Christmas present and uh, racism being dead due to the color of friendship. Take it away, Alden. The whole nation saw the color of friendship yesterday. Well, the ultimate Christmas present. Allie Thompson and her friends Sam finds Santa Claus's weather making machine. They tried to use it to get a school snow day 
and not have to turn in an assignment. I would have done the same thing as them. In fact, I did, but the machine gets out of hand and threatens to ruin Christmas. Allie and Sam then team up with Santa in an attempt to save the day. I don't think this movie's good. I barely remember it. It's not bad. It's surprisingly charming, but I want to hear about the color of friendship from you, Alden. In 1977, which was desegregation period in the U.S., Black Congressman Ron V. Dellums and his family welcomed a South African exchange student, but expecting a student of color, they are surprised when a white South African arrives. The exchange student, being part of the apartheid system, was expecting a white family. And for those who don't know, the apartheid was really bad segregation in South Africa that continued until the 90s legally and still continues to this day because they did nothing to actually fix the problems caused by it. Kind of like us. Well, well, not really. <laughs> but we are we are much further detached than they are. Interesting. Yeah, apartheid was bad. What's funny is like just reading the plot of this, you're like, wait, this is a Disney Channel original movie. It sounds like it's like a new A24 film or something. Like, And it came out in 2000. I gotta say, The Color of Friendship still to this day holds up. A lot of people keep revisiting it every year, especially with what's going on right now, just like culturally in America. It, it has become this gem. When I was a kid, I was so bored with The Color of Friendship. This is just real people having real honest conversations and moments, which I think was just really uh, great for the Disney Channel original movies. You think that this would be a Disney movie like Remember the Titans or something like that. They address this very seriously in the comfort of our own homes. Um, so it's held up. Though when I was a kid, I was more excited about the ultimate Christmas present. But you know what I'm just now realizing? So there's those two elves in the ultimate Christmas present. I thought that they were both professional basketball players. Apparently one of them was a professional basketball player. And the other one is Bill Fangerbach, who is the voice of Patrick from Under Wraps. That's right. Who are you calling Pinhead? The color of friendship on this, I just think it's a clear winner. It's aged well like fine wine. I agree. I think the ultimate Christmas present starts off really strong, and I love the fact that Santa is somehow able to control the weather. Um, this is like some like Alex Jones conspiracy theory that's actually like really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes a little off the deep end toward the end toward toward the end. And I remember even as a kid, um, like probably around seven or eight years old, I didn't really care about the whole Santa incorporation in this in this movie. But I do agree the color of friendship has gotten better with age and i do think it handles its its subject matter surprisingly well for a made for tv disney movie made like 20 years ago i love the premise it's really rich like i i think a24 could probably remake this movie with a very similar script and it could get an oscar yeah i, yeah, I agree you know in my canon the president is the Cory in the House president in The Color of Friendship, and he does help the characters after the events of the movie. <laughs> Ricky Martinez, or what was his name? President Martinez would not stand for injustice anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Moving forward, we got Alley Cat Strike, the Disney Channel original sports movie about bowling, up against Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. The only way to settle the score is to take it to the alley. A group of hip, retro teenage outsiders become involved in an interschool bowling rivalry. A, an actual quote from the movie, nobody seems to want to bowl anymore. Alex. The big like achievement in this film is I believe Alex uh, trying to master the 710 split and the way it's captured in this film is really cinematic surprisingly. Um, the rest of it's garbage. I don't really care about this film. Yes Nate I agree with you. She, she What she does is it's a split and it's the girl who never bowls who happens to be on the bowling team. The laziest girl in the group uh, puts her finger in the middle of the hole spins the ball and then pushes it forward and somehow the spinning force knocks both of them over every time when i'm at a bowling alley i think of this movie and i try to do that move and it it never works 
Raiders. I agree, and I always end up gutterballing it too. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the Zoomer me talking, but how does this compare to the sweet life of Zack and Cassode when uh, Arwen, I think his name is, the janitor wins the bowling game for them? It's way cooler in the sweet life of Zack and Cody, and it does rip off that scene verbatim. He's actually trying to master the 710 split and does the same technique. It's like poetry, it rhymes. Uh, the alleged baseball prodigy Eddie Ogden really likes to cook, which for some reason his friends and dad, who was also the baseball coach, make fun of him for. Eddie enters a major cooking contest, which turns out to be on the same day as the baseball playoffs. There is a problem where he has to decide if he should play for his dad and friends or if he should follow his dreams. I think this movie is extremely cliche, but it's a fun watch because of that. Yeah, it's better than Alley Cat Strike. It really is. I know I'm Mr. Name Dropping Matt on this podcast, but one time I met, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Bobby Flay's daughter, but when I met her, she like mentioned, oh yeah, my dad's Bobby Flay. I was like, oh my God, I love Eddie's million dollar cook-off. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, thanks. She had no clue like what I was talking about. Well, of course you're name drop. You are Stephen King's son. You had a lot of famous friends. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, have you seen Eddie's million dollar cook-off? I haven't, I think, actually. I just want to know what your opinion on it is based on Alden's description, just because you're the biggest Ratatouille stan I know. Did this walk so Ratatouille can run? I think this walked so uh, the Dr. Seuss uh, Cat in the Hat movie could run, because he makes a lot of purple goop in this movie. The, the side character arc in High School Musical with the kid that plays basketball but really wants to cook is straight up ripped from Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. They didn't even try to hide it. This this movie's great. I think it's one of the best Disney Channel original movies, and it's moving forward. We got Xenon, girl of the 21st century, up against stepsister from Planet Weird. I'm sorry, Jory. But you're going to have to explain to us what Stepsister from Planet Weird's about. So Stepsister from Planet Weird got a one-sentence descriptor for you. Uh, a teenager's life is disrupted when her mother falls in love with an alien. Word. <laughs> word. I have a feeling that this is a repeat of uh, Rip Girls where it's like, all right, these movies are similar and one is the obvious. Yeah, I agree. In my research for this film, I think it takes place in the same universe as the Blade Runner movies. You might be right. Xenon Carr, a 13-year-old girl who lives on a space station in the year 2049, gets into some trouble and is banished to Earth. Whoa. Oh my god. With help from some Earth friends, she must find her way back. I think Xenon is a replicant. I also think that Xenon's a replicant, and uh, we aren't talking about the sequels, but at the same time, the cultural relevancy of Xenon can't be understated. This was like, this was like Disney Princess, but on television new girl from the future the hip outfits like bright colors this is exactly what people in the 90s thought 2049 would look like and they were right i had the biggest crush on kirsten storms besides the pink power ranger kimberly next to kirsten storms dude i was so in love with kirsten storms i went on her website and i wrote her uh, like an email saying like how much i loved her thinking she would respond. This is definitely a generational thing, but I did the same with iCarly. Damn. Did she ever respond? No, she didn't. She didn't respond, guys. She didn't ever respond. Real quick, what what was everyone's sexual awakenings? No, we're not going to talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> we're going to talk about double teamed. 
and the other me. Will Browning accidentally create a clone of himself when working on a science project? This is the origin to the clones in Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. It takes place on the planet Kamino. <laughs> it's the Jango Fed origin story. So it's the best part of that movie. I do really like the wacky shenanigans in this movie. Like, real talk, he clones himself so he can stay home and, like, play video games and just bool. And then, like, the other him goes to school for him and then becomes more popular than him. While, like, simultaneously, like, CIA agents that actually were behind the cloning mechanism are, like, trying to track him down. I hadn't seen it since I was a really little kid. And then re-watching it last week, I was in stitches. This movie's really charming. Jory, tell us about Double Teamed. Now is my time to shine. The Birch twins' lives get a little shaken up when their dad makes them move schools to get sports scholarships. But there's something a little different about these girls. They're both six foot one. Can these girls successfully make new friends and live a normal high school life? That might just be a tall order. Heather Burge successfully makes it onto the basketball team while Heidi attempts to get in with the super cool drama kids. After lying about her address to, to an evil sub four foot womanlet, Heidi, Heidi accidentally causes her whole family to move to a motel converted into apartments because their dad moved them into a school outside their district. I hope they have high ceilings. Heidi then starts playing basketball and begins to totally cramp Heather's style before they meet a cute boy and Heather breaks her leg. After a miraculous recovery where Heather plays on her broken leg with her sister at the last game of the season, the two sisters are finally best friends once more. Also, Jellyfish Jam plays in the finale where the two of them play on opposing teams of a WNBA game. Slightly more mature perspective, what is the better movie about uh, cloning? <laughs> <laughs> while, while the other me on surface seems like a really cheesy movie, like how do like two scientists accidentally leak a cloning formula into a sea monkey factory? I think it's actually really funny. And there's kind of a nice message to it. The clone just wants to have more out of life. And I feel like any kid can kind of relate to that because, you know, they just want to get by and accepted. This kid kind of sees a reflection of his own self of what he's capable of. Like if you just put yourself out there and not care too much about what other people think, people will end up liking you. So I think there's a nice message. And I agree with you, Nate, that uh, it's kind of nice as a rewatch. Double teamed. Yes, it's based on a true story, but apparently, like, it's a total stretch from what actually happened with, like, the two sisters. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. This movie is not good. No, it's not. And it, it, it still gets made fun of on TikTok to this day of, like, the cheesiest, like, face-off when they're, like, she has the ball and she's, like, trying to juke out the other girl. I straight up stopped watching this movie whenever uh, there was, like, a sports scene because, like, I saw the writing on the wall. Like, it's just nonsense at it. Yeah, it's total nonsense. So I say other me over double teamed. I agree. Also, the dad's a big scumbag in that movie. He's forcing his girls to move schools strictly for the reason of getting them to go to a better better schools but then fudges the fact that they don't live in that school district hey i'm just thinking about their future i'm just thinking about their future i'm just arguing with their coach i'm just illegally moving them that's a gen x dad move right there if i've ever heard of one but we're moving on so up next on the right side of the bracket we've got the phantom of the megaplex going head to head against the clue both mystery movies let me run you down the synopses for these real quick. The Phantom of the Megaplex is the story of Pete Riley, a 17-year-old assistant manager of a 72-screen cineplex that is supposedly haunted by the Phantom of the projectionist who was still in the smaller movie theater that was demolished to make the cineplex. Mickey Rooney plays Movie Mason, an old guy who volunteers to work at this Megaplex. 
and the Riley family solves a Scooby-Doo-esque mystery to find out who the Phantom really is. In a film where nothing has any major consequences and acts of attempted arson are rewarded with promotions, this film has not aged well at all. Although a personal favorite of mine growing up, and a huge reason why I became an assistant manager of my local Cineplex, this film now only serves as a reminder as to why, perhaps, AMC and Cinemark both filing for bankruptcy isn't really that bad of a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Filmed partially in New York City, Get a Clue is pretty much Gossip Girl before Gossip Girl for an even younger target audience. Lindsay Lohan ends her three-movie Disney contract starring as an investigative gossip journalist for her school newspaper. She and her friends snoop around the city trying to solve the mysterious disappearance of their teacher, Mr. Walker. They catch teachers in spicy romantic affairs and find out who framed Mr. Walker for $10 million. One of these movies I really liked as a kid and the other one I really didn't, and now one of these movies I think has aged pretty well as an adult, and the other one is complete rubbish and not worth your time. Matt said it in a text conversation with me earlier. Mickey Rooney's the only thing about Phantom of the Megaplex that still worked. I get a clue, 100% here. They had all these really star-studded cameos. They had Debbie Reynolds, Mickey Rooney, and then Bobby Flay and Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off, and then it kind of went downhill from there. Because of this contract, they were able to get her to do a Disney Channel original movie. Probably one of the best lead performances out of any of these movies. So I was today years old. When I found out Freaky Friday had a theatrical release and it wasn't a Disney Channel original. Dude! Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis is not on a Disney Channel original movie budget like that, you know? But coming down to this, obviously, yeah, we choose Get a Clue. I love Get a Clue. One thing, fun fact I found out about Get a Clue is Get a Clue is actually inspired by... It's a Woody Allen uh, movie, uh, Manhattan Murder Mystery. And also one thing I love about Get a Clue, and I didn't realize it till I rewatched it, Miss Dawson, the teacher that like, oh, apparently gets offed in the film, is Amanda Plummer, and whose dad is Christopher Plummer from, you know, Sound of Music, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. All the money in the world. Yes, she's an, ama- she's an amazing actress. And when I was watching it, I w- she seemed really kind of offbeat compared to a lot of decom movies because i was like this is a legit actress this woman is making really bold choices and when i looked it up i was like ah it all makes sense jack downey character is bug hall who played alfalfa in the little rascals movie we got extreme sports coming up next we got motocrossed up against brink josh tell us about motocrossed motocross is um this, this movie was interesting to me like doing research on it because i thought at first i didn't see it and this movie kind of unlocked a memory for me like that I totally forgot. But when I was a very young kid, I really wanted to be a uh, like a motocross racer. Still to this day, I've never driven a motorcycle in my life. But besides that, this movie actually has a lot of charm to it. And the ending where the two, uh, spoiler alert, where the couple is going up that hill and like turns into a freeze frame like it's the ending of like Harry Potter Prisoner of Azkaban. It's great. Is it as good as the ending of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? It's better. They got the same energy going, and uh, I think it's better than uh, She's the Man. Hot take. And, and speaking of She's the Man, it's actually interesting. Motocross is based on, you know, same thing as She's the Man, the Shakespeare play, the 12th night. Yeah, so, you know, obviously Shakespeare is one of those authors whose works transcend time with their plots and their characters, but yeah, this is uh, the 12th night, basically, of Shakespeare. That puts this on the same tier as The Lion King, boys and girls. And 10 Things I Hate About You. All right. Alden, tell us about Brink. Andy Brink Brinker is like the head of a group of inline skaters who don't take corporate sponsorships, but then predictably Brink's family starts having financial problems and he's 
obviously forced to join a sponsored team. However, Brink then finds out that the captain of his new team is resorting to sabotage. Seeing how corporate lobbyist paid politicians are corrupt, he rejoins his original team in a tournament against the uh, other team, ditching the sponsors. I never saw this one. What? What works about Brink is actually the sports element. The way they capture inline skating in this movie is surprisingly competent, especially compared to movies like Double Teamed where they have like laughably bad sports montages. They, they pretty much film it all like you would like a skate tape, but with high quality TV ready cameras. It's well done. I did. Who said they haven't seen Brink? <laughs> Jory, one of the funny lines, the, the character's name isn't Jory, but it's Jordy. And he's like, Jordy, Jordy, Jordy. Did you wake up today and said, today I'm going to talk. Today I'm going to skate. I thought of you. Also, I just uploaded in the Legacy General chat. If you look at story by Upper Motocross, it says William Shakespeare. And it's a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. But I'm going to argue Brink over this. But uh, I'm fine going with Brink. Every time I see those like motocross like uniforms, I guess they wear, I think that one that one sequence in Sky High. Did you all have that one kid that would wear like motocross uniform to school like once a year? Yeah, I was friends with him. Oh, I that was me. Me too. Like I think at, at, at JC Penny or Coles, they sold uh like these uh motocross kind of jersey things, and I would wear that all around. I never owned a dirt bike. Now we've got Pixel Perfect up against Smart House. If there's any movie in this entire bracket that does exist in the Blade Runner universe and it's not uh, Xenon, it's definitely Pixel Perfect. Computer nerd Roscoe wants to help his friend Sam and her band, the Zeta Bites, by using holographic technology to create a new dancer for the band named Loretta. Their first gig, a school dance, Loretta steals the show. The novelty launches the band to fame overnight. And Sam gets jealous that Loretta is taking all the credit for her band. While having an argument, Sam insists that Loretta isn't real. And then Loretta becomes self-aware and decides to break free of her program, escaping into the internet. Loretta is a no-show for the band's next gig. And Sam tries her best to do Loretta's dance routine and falls so hard she puts herself in a coma. And then Loretta takes over Sam's body using an EEG machine. Then they recreate the ending scene of Blade Runner with the tear in the rain monologue as Loretta becomes overwhelmed by Sam's depression and shows her how to overcome her anxieties. Then Sam's body gets struck by lightning and Loretta leaves her body assumingly dead. The Zeta Bites perform a final time in loving memory of Loretta's passing. On the last course of the song, a fifth voice joins the harmony and a ghostly apparition of a Loretta, who is still a hologram, mind you, appears to be the band's guardian angel. This is when Disney Channel original movies fully jump the shark in Pixel Perfect. The computer animation in this movie is dog shit, but it's wildly entertaining. Bro, when's the A24 remake of this movie? Dude. Because like all the themes about AI that I'm hearing and the supernatural, like I'm about it. We need this. All right. And then uh, I think, Alden, you've got Smart House, right? Yeah. Don't undersell this, please. <laughs> Don't worry, he will. Ben Cooper, 13-year-old um, computer whiz, uh, helps his widowed dad win a smart house. But he doesn't want his dad to date now that his mom is gone. So he reprograms the AI named Pat to be a surrogate mom. However, just like Pixel Perfect, the AI escapes whatever and becomes their own person she begins to take on a life of her own and starts to become an overbearing mom and cause a lot of problems for him and his dad long story short 
An AI does not replace a person. Uh, Katie Seagal knocks it out of the park in this movie, directed by LeVar Burton, of all people, who you might know as Jordy from Star Trek uh, or the Reading Rainbow guy. Smart House is Kino, and it has aged surprisingly well. It's a little cheesy. No, Nate, you blew my mind when you texted me the other day that LeVar Burton directed this movie. The Reading Rainbow and Star Trek guy, I had no clue, and I thank you so much for telling me something I had no clue about um smart house is a masterpiece pixel perfect is a trip i mean if you really like you know want to watch a blast from the past get sucked into early 2000s made for tv cheese pixel perfect will scratch that itch but i think smart house also will too the way the smart house is portrayed in like the first act is really really cheesy the underlying messaging of like this son who doesn't want his dad to start dating because his mom's dead like all of those emotions land pretty well Definitely better than some of like the side plots in a lot of these movies. And then kind of like how they overcome this house that's smarter than them is is really cool. And I like the world building too of like Beta launching this new giant piece of technology like the Tesla house or some shit to like people who enter a lottery essentially. It's it's really smart marketing. I, I'd like to see that implemented moving forward. When your dad starts dating Alexa. I feel like in a world where people pretend like Black Mirror is good, we have to vote for this. <laughs> surprised when i see uh pre-2000s movies handle ai uh, a lot of the time they are surprisingly accurate with how some things are but uh usually with a bit of a hollywood kind of twist too the santa claus 2 is really accurate rocky 4 is extremely accurate <laughs> all right i'm on team smart house is anyone on pixel perfect i think this is a sweep yeah we got cadet kelly up against up up and away uh, a movie i rewatched this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> Ordered by her new ex-military stepdad, Hilary Duff, I mean Kelly Collins, enrolls in military school. Struggling to conform to the demands of the school, she also faces abuse from her commanding officer and almost drops out. However, for some reason, she sticks it out after falling for a classmate and decides to join the drill team. I don't know why a lot of movies that kind of have this uh, storyline rely on love interests for the characters to get strength to continue on. Uh, because their target audience is 12-year-old girls, but they're written by 40-year-old men, so they just assume that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> These are Disney Channel original movies, Holden. <laughs> Josh, tell us about The Incredible. I mean, up, up, and away. <laughs> <laughs> a boy is the only family member without superpowers in this Disney film. The world depends on him saving his family from computerized brainwashers. Will he realize that it doesn't take superpowers to be a hero in time to help them defeat the villains? And I want to quote somebody from Letterboxd. I did not say this. Somebody else did. I have not seen this movie. Way better than Black Panther. They said all in caps. There was a comment that said that, Jory, but I wasn't going to repeat that one. This one says, all in caps, this is the most underrated decom ever. Sky High Hoop. Yeah, it's a good thing you didn't say that, Josh. Sky High Hoop is a bad taste. I mean, it does precede it by like five years, so we can still say that it's revolutionary with a very similar idea. A long time before Incredibles 2, where like the, uh, the gender roles between the mother and the father superhero are switched. So like the mom, like her alter ego is running like a like a business job and she's like pitching to executives and stuff. Well, like the dad's in charge of taking the kids to soccer practice and stuff. And they're both like fighting crime on the side. 
really i think kind of bold to do like an all-black cast for like a superhero movie at the year 2000 it's not like a part of the plot but i think it's interesting that they chose to do that i think that this movie was a lot of fun to rewatch, and uh the way that they destroy the villains at the end is seriously something out of like the 60s batman it's great my only thing with this movie though is just that their weakness is foil aluminum foil like what (laughs) (laughs) there's that scene where they're in the cafeteria and like a friend is like oh think fast and just throws a balled up thing of aluminum foil and he catches it and it just is like uh, like nearly kills him it's so silly i feel like they could have come up with just a more clever i don't know kryptonite but the movie knows it's silly similar to luck of the irish it's it's aware of itself. I'm a big fan of Cadet Kelly. Fun fact about Cadet Kelly, um, neither Chrissy Carlson Romano and Hilary Duff didn't meet each other until this film, which I think was pretty interesting because they were both, you know, kind of like Disney royalty during the time. But Cadet Kelly, like, also one funny thing I think about Cadet Kelly is the dad's name is Sir, and he doesn't really have a name the entire film. And, uh, but you know, it's, you know, it's about a girl adopting a new world. She learns from it and they learn from each other. So the ribbon dancing at the end i really love i mean every day that i want to be i am confident but if i was judging that uh final round of the military competition um and people started ribbon ribbon dancing i mean they would get like a four out of ten from me i like cat kelly i think pe- more people remember it in the decom world so my vote's cat kelly over up up and away I'm I'm with you, Matt. It's no major pain, but I do like the way that they portray the military academy. Kind of like funny and charming movie. And my older sister absolutely loved this movie. Reason I got exposed to a lot of these uh, decoms from the uh, late '90s, early 2000s was because I have an older sister. So uh, shout outs to her. I I'm with Cadet Kelly. Cool. I don't have any kind of sister, so I'm voting for Up Up and Away. <laughs> it's hard to not vote for. I think the forgotten queen of disney channel hillary duff here hillary duff is definitely someone i'd vote for up next we've got gotta kick it up versus miracle and two uh let me start off by talking about miracle and lane two why why are you laughing why why are you laughing this is this is a serious movie miracle and lane two i guess this film is technically a biopic Uh, about Justin Yoder, who was the first person to ever compete in the All-American Soapbox Derby. Uh, They cast Frankie Muniz, who was hot off the first season of Malcolm in the Middle, in a wheelchair for the role. Uh, Most of the movie focuses on his overprotective parents not letting him try sports, even though his older brother is very athletic, uh, mostly just because of his disability. He then has to clean a neighbor's garage after getting in trouble and fighting with his brother, who turns out to be the father of the first female soapbox car driver, who tragically died young in a swimming accident. Justin then decides he wants to race a soapbox as well. In his first race, he is hospitalized after a crash and due to a buildup of spinal fluid, uh, Seth, Justin's older brother, comes to his aid and convinces the rules committee to let Seth compete again, this time in like the tournament or whatever, uh, with a handbrake instead of like a typical foot-powered brake. And then Justin wins the tournament and asks God in if everyone in heaven is perfect, and then God shows him a vision of angels that are both wheelchair bound and not wheelchair bound angels. Then they show us real footage of Justin's uh, race. They now have a break in the official uh, soapbox derby all-American uh, soapbox derby tournament that you can compete with either a handbrake or a foot break and they call the handbrake the Justin break. Oh, 
Awesome. On paper, if A24 remakes this, it's going to the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, gotta kick it up. What's that one about? Gotta kick it up. This was gonna be the first year that Marshall Middle School was not going to have a dance team. All that changes when the new biology teacher, Mrs. Bartlett, agrees to be the coach. Now the girls need to prove that they are ready to compete and are able to win, not only to themselves, but to their parents and coach. Using the chant, Si se puede, or yes I can, the dance team builds their confidence to perform. Si se puede! I, I honestly don't know. I've heard of Gotta Kick It Up, so I guess the cultural relevance is there for that one a little bit more than the Frankie Muniz one, which is a little interesting because of how big Frankie Muniz is and was kind of for a nostalgia trip to that era. Yeah, I think society has forgotten this movie about as much as Frankie Muniz has, unfortunately. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, Frankie. Do you think society would remember it if they didn't have the wheelchair angels at the end? I do think that the story is really heart-touching. I actually really enjoy what this movie's trying to say. Uh, it's just not well executed, and it was a little too early in Disney Channel original movies run to try and like tackle this story, I think. I kind of agree with you, Nate. I vote Miracle in Lane 2 over Gotta Kick It Up. Gotta Kick It Up, I feel like, was such a girly movie in my eyes when I was a kid. All I really remember was that the boyfriend had, like, like absurdly really good teeth. All right, Matt, you won me over. I'm totally on Miracle in Lane 2 here. I think it has a more ambitious story. Is I feel like it being girly isn't really a strike against it, especially when we just voted for Cadet Kelly to go over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Have you guys seen the sequel, Miracle in Lane 3? Does he go to heaven? It doesn't exist. <laughs> my, uh, I guess my cousin's co-worker, Wheels who does a lot of stuff with Nitro Circus and everything. I follow him on Instagram. So every now and then I'll see a post from him about uh, kids in wheelchairs getting into different sports with their wheelchair. And it's all really cool to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wheelchair basketball is actually like a really like sought after sport. Like it's super competitive. They do a big tournament in Columbus every year. Isn't there a documentary called like Murder Ball that's all about that? I think I think you're right, actually. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, but my dad, I think, used to have the DVD when we were kids. But yeah, it's a good document. All right, we've got the Shia LaBeouf showdown coming up next. We've got the Even Stevens movie up against True Confessions. I'm excited for this round. I really am. Me too. I love the Even Stevens movie. I'm not, I like... I didn't like grow up with the with the show like to be honest like I've seen episodes and but like for some reason I've always been really attached to the movie and it's one of my favorite Disney Channel original movies spoilers because honestly the ending is Kino like you got you got Shia LaBeouf falling off a cliff you think they actually killed off even Steven and it turns out to like be this whole like prank you got uh you got fucking what's his name uh beads yes he shows up saying it's like part of a prank show like it's great i love the even stevens movie i think it's one of the best movies on this bracket about family and it's about family and that's what's so powerful about it jory it's time for you to unravel the true confessions oh no don't laugh don't laugh <laughs> <laughs> what is so funny about true confessions there is nothing funny about true confession there's nothing funny about it but there's something really funny about you telling people not to laugh at it <laughs> <laughs> i agree okay speaking of the movie true confessions a surprisingly tasteful performance by shia labeouf shows a glimmer of quality in an otherwise certified disney channel original oscar bait trudy true walker thought she had the worst life ever and having a father who was always working a mother who never took her side 
outside and a mentally challenged brother didn't help. But when True gets a chance to follow her dream and star in a TV show, she finds out what it really means to be a family. This movie is interesting. I feel like it tries to cast a light on the struggles of a family living and also raising a mentally challenged uh, child. I think Shia LaBeouf's performance is actually very good. It was much better than what I expected. Like as soon as I started this movie, I was a little worried. I think he's very good. I think that the rest of the movie isn't really there to support him though. The girl who the movie is about, True, is... I don't even know how to describe her. She's she's strange. No, she, it's strange because she's like a YouTuber, but ahead of her time. Like she's making these video blogs, but I'm like, what is she uploading this onto? Yeah, like she's making it in a time where like, I think she mentions once she's like, I bet you totally think like I'm like a psycho or something. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. You're doing this in like the year 2000. Where are you putting this? I know. A uh, fun fact though about True Confessions, Shia LaBeouf, when he auditioned for this movie, um, almost didn't get it because he apparently overdid it in terms of his portrayal of being mentally challenged. And then he spent two weeks studying uh, people who were mentally handicapped and got a better groove of the character and was finally casted. True Confessions, though, honestly, still to this day, um, it, it can make me cry. It breaks my heart. And I know that this is the, we're, we're battling DCOM movies, but in this particular bracket, we're talking about Shia LaBeouf movies. And this was the one moment where Shia LaBeouf transcended as an actor from becoming just uh, a kid we knew on a sitcom to a kid who had the potential to be a true actor and adapts a character who's totally different from him. And I know I made the exception that even Stevens was the only franchise that made it on to this bracket. I'm going to argue true confessions because I think this was a pivotal moment in Shia LaBeouf in his career and people taking him seriously. Yeah, I completely agree. His performance here really just feels like a acceptable for Disney Channel version of the same performance that Leonardo DiCaprio gives in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yes, yes, very true. I think that True Confessions actually stands out really well on this uh, list for like that supporting role in uh Shia LaBeouf I do agree with Jory the like the movie surrounding that that arc and that pivotal relationship is a little weaker but again I do think it's really interesting how Disney portrayed this uh kind of like girl who wants to kind of break out in a sort of way and is recording all this video and as someone who you know works in you know film and video and stuff like that i found that character character both surprisingly like relatable but also kind of like seeing the parts of myself that i don't like and like evaluating the my like the members of my family based off of like how people in movies act and i i think that this movie is the only one on this list that if i was in the right mood could make me cry as well matt i think true confessions is is really good and i'm sorry josh I know you like the Even Stevens movie, and I think it's really bold for the, the show to end on this like made-for-TV movie in the way that it does, but it's almost a giant like shark jump for me. I would rather see these characters just like exist in their regular habitat for a finale than go to this island and be on a reality TV show that turns out to be a different reality TV show. It's a little much for me. It's a little too much of a survivor ripoff. True Confessions has some heart. The first time I saw the Even Stevens movie was right after watching Holes on Disney Channel and it just played right after so I watched it too and it was hard to comprehend the even Stevens movie after watching Holes. Holes is also a very good movie. I googled True Confessions and I forgot about the De Niro movie. <laughs> if you do not come back from Madame Zoroni, you and your family will be cast forever.
always a neat day. Big yellow lizards. The first time I saw Holes was on a field trip to Washington, D.C. <laughs> up next, we've got the Cheetah Girls up against Stuck in the Suburbs. The Cheetah Girls, a uh, group of cringeworthy Spice Girls want to be, perform at a birthday party. Then they plan to be the first freshman to win their talent show in the school's history. A record executive then wants to give them a deal, and the Raven Simone Cheetah Girl asserts her dominance as the leader, songwriter, and manager of the group, and this pisses off all the other Cheetah Girls. Then one of their dogs runs away from home and uh, gets stuck in the sewer system of Manhattan, so the Cheetah Girls sing to calm the dog down, and the dog is promptly rescued. Together we can shoot the moon, stop the rain, even ride a hurricane. This re like re-reconciles the girls, and they win the talent show and get a record deal, and there is a sequel. Yeah, I'm not too partial to the Cheetah Girls. I think it's really, really cheap, but... I want to hear about Stuck in the Suburbs, Jory. Teenager Brittany is bored with her quiet suburban life. She finds excitement when her phone is switched out with the phone of Jordan Cahill. Jordan, only the top teen pop singer, has come to her town to make a music video. Brenda Song is in this one, so it must be Kino. Same tier as the social network. Um, one thing I just want to say, a fun fact about the Cheetah Girls. Apparently, a lot of the times, they're not even wearing cheetah print. They're actually wearing leopard print because cheetah print is just the dogs. And leopard's the one that has like a dot within the circle of stuck in the suburbs i hardly know anything about all i know that is taryn killian who's was on snl and stuff was in it and but this was around the time where watching disney channel wasn't cool for me anymore so i don't know much about this movie but cheetah girls i think holds up pretty well I don't know much about Stuck in the Suburbs, to be honest, but all the friends I interviewed consulting this bracket said Stuck in the Suburbs should be on here, but I know nothing. I think this is interesting because it's like you have two different takes on celebrity culture and what it means to teens. Here in the Carol Baskin Girls, you have a group of Spice Girl wannabes who think that they have the uh, ability and talent to be pop sensations. And then in Stuck in the Suburbs, you have like normal-ish teenagers who think like life sucks until a celebrity comes to their town. And I do think that that's a really interesting take as opposed to like this um, protagonist syndrome-fueled Cheetah Girls movie. I, I personally think that Stuck in the Suburbs is more interesting, but I do think the Cheetah Girls has landed like that large larger cultural footprint. So I'd be interested in hearing what everyone else has to say. I guess cultural relevancy. I don't know how relevant the Cheetah Girls are right now, but I I, I know when we were younger, like it was big. It was like, it came out before High School Musical, right? I think Cheetah Girls was kind of like the stepping stone to the kind of to what Disney would become in in a few short couple of years. Yeah, but I think that that was something they were always trying to do. And I don't want to like talk about the next round yet. But it, I think they finally found success with what came next. I think Cheetah Girls did really well for Disney Channel original movies. And it, you're right, it might be a stepping stone to where they went later. In terms of like, am I going to listen to the Cheetah Girls? A lot of my friends, like um, their first concert, a lot of people will say was the Cheetah Girls, which I find really interesting. Uh, the Wiggles were touring at the same time. And if you chose to go to the Cheetah Girls over the Wiggles, you can unsubscribe from this YouTube channel. <laughs> I don't think our uh, viewer base is old enough to know about either. Uh, anyone else got a take here? I'm still on Stuck in the Suburbs. Matt's on Cheetah Girls, and I think Josh is too. I'm kind of feeling stuck in the suburbs on this one. I feel like the entire 
space that the Cheetah Girls occupies in my mind comes from the ads that were running on Disney Channel when we were old enough to watch it because that was what was the thing at the time. But then it was swiftly replaced with High School Musical once that came around. All right, Alden, you are the decision once again. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm picking Cheetah Girls. Together we can shoot the moon, south the rain. And that's why I picked Cheetah Girls. The last matchup of this first and long round is High School Musical up against Camp Rock. Alden, what is High School Musical about if you're living under a rock or even younger than us? Have y'all ever seen Grease? <laughs> before I before I start, uh, which one of us has didn't see the third one in theaters? I didn't see the third one in theaters. No way. I wasn't paying for that. Yeah, still to this day, I haven't seen the third one. Shit, I've seen the third one in theaters. Yeah, me too. Jory hasn't seen any of them, so. <laughs> yeah. I thought this wouldn't need much of an introduction, but uh, Troy Bolton, a popular basketball star, and Gabriella, a shy, academically gifted newcomer, discover that they are, share a secret passion for singing. When they both sign up for the lead roles in the school musical, the jocks, the brainiacs, and the drama kids try their best to separate the pair and keep them off stage. The attempt to keep the pecking order of the school is thwarted when the other students get inspired to show off their hidden talents. We're soaring, flying. There's not a star in heaven that we can't reach. In heaven that we can't reach. All right, Josh. I, I need you to sing one song from Camp Rock that is as memorable as any song in High School Musical now. <laughs> on my way back to my home in preparation for this, I'm like, let me turn on the Camp Rock soundtrack. I'm like, it's been a while. Let me see if there, there actually is a banger on this that's in the same tier as High School Musical. And I kept going, no, not that one. No, not that one. And like... This movie has one of the worst pacing, like, in general, I've ever seen in a feature film. Okay, so, like, Demi Lovato, right? The movie starts with, like, her excited to go to Camp Rock. Then she can't go to Camp Rock. Five minutes later, her mom tells her she can go to Camp Rock. And then they get to Camp Rock, and the, the Jonas Brothers show up, but they're not really the Jonas Brothers. There's some other band that I didn't care to even look up the name of. And then Demi Lovato hates Joe Jonas, but wait, then they don't. But then they hate each other again, but then Joe Jonas sings to her on, on a lake or something. And then they just kind of forget that they that they did that. And then Demi Lovato sings a song, and Joe's like, that's the song, even though like you already spent time with this person. Why did we need a reveal? It is high school musical is just a much better paced movie with better music um the, the ending of high school musical like right before the all in this together scene there's a tracking shot that's really good yeah no it really is i know exactly what shot you're talking about <laughs> i was like yo the name of the band in camp rock is connect three it was mentioned that i haven't seen any of these movies before i know songs from all three of them <laughs> And I feel like lately, uh, Camp Rock is has been getting roasted online. It is the butt of so many jokes on TikTok. I get suggested every cringy scene from Camp Rock. I don't see really that many cringy moments from High School Musical. Obviously, I'm saying High School Musical over Camp Rock. What are those two kids doing in a tree? <laughs> <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. This was the right choice. Uh, High School Musical 2 is gold. All right. So this next round, we're going to try to get through this a little bit quicker than that last round. This is the speed round. Up first, we've got uh, Don't Look Under the Bed up against Under Wraps. On the count of three, we are all going to say which one we think should move on. Three, two, one. Don't, Don't look, look under, under the bed. Under Wraps. Don't look under the bed. Um, 
under wraps. Hey, three to two. Three to two. Don't look under the beds. Moving on. Yes. Up next, we've got the luck of the Irish versus Johnny Tsunami. Ready? Three, two, one. Luck of the Irish. The luck of the Irish. Johnny's Tsunami. Surf's up. Luck of the Irish. Ooh, I'm not mad if Luck of the Irish goes on. I voted for Johnny Tsunami, so if Luck of the Okay, I'm cool with it. I think this was like the hot take, actually. I think a lot of people have fond memories of Johnny Tsunami, but uh, I, I think if you went back to rewatch one of these, you'd have more fun with Luck of the Irish. Yeah, I agree. All right, The Color of Friendship versus Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. Ready? Three, two, one. Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. Eddie's million dollar cook-off. Eddie's million dollar cook-off. Josh is the only one who stands above apartheid. (laughs) (laughs) You want to hear a really interesting fact about uh, Eddie's million dollar cook-off, though? The budget for this movie was exactly one million dollars. Aw, that's cute. All right, Xenon up against the other me. Ready? (laughs) Three, two, one. Xenon 2049. The other me. Xenon. Xenon. Xenon Jory Runner 2049. We've got Get a Clue up against Brink. Ready? Three, two, one. Get a clue. Brink. 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 Get a clue? Get a clue, guys. It's Brink. A certified Brink classic. We got Smart House up against Cadet Kelly. Ready? Three, two, one. Smart House. Smart House. Cadet Kelly. Smart House. Smart House. Miracle in Lane 2 up against True Confessions. No one laugh. Three, two, one. True confessions. True confessions. True confessions. True confessions. True confessions. The sweep. Sorry, Malcolm. The Cheetah Girls up against High School Musical. Ready? Three, two, one. High School Musical. High School Musical. High School Musical. All right, sweet. We got through that round. We're now into the Elite Eight. This is something digestible. We've got Don't Look Under the Bed versus The Luck of the Irish. Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off versus Xenon. Got Brink versus Smart House. True Confessions versus High School Musical. It's going to get heated, everybody. Damn, we finally have good movies on this list. (laughs) I do think that these are eight of the ones worth watching now. They really are. Yeah. I would watch all of these. Is Don't Look Under the Bed Matt's uh, Days of Future Past? Josh and Jory really like X-Men Days of Future Past. And uh, yeah, now we're known for it. My my eyebrows are like in the weirdest shape they've ever been hearing that. Matt, you got to rewatch X-Men Days of Future Past. It's Kino. It's not that good. But anyway, we've got the luck of the Irish up against Don't Look Under the Bed. I love like the cult kind of like playground, like mystery surrounding Don't Look Under the Bed, especially me watching all these movies like reruns. Uh, the fact that there was like another horror themed Disney Channel original movie that wasn't like accessible was really cool. I remember Urban Legends on the playground, then a little bit later reading about like creepy pastas. Wait, hold on. You were just talking about how much you loved Halloween Town over Don't Look Under the Bed and now you're switching it? I'm saying that's the best element. Okay. Oh. But if I were to watch one of these right now, knowing what Don't Look Under the Bed actually is, I don't think it's actually aged that well. And I was kind of upset to see it lose to Under Wraps, which I think is a very underrated movie on this list. The Luck of the Irish is one of the most fun times you will have watching a Disney Channel original movie. It's cheesy, it's campy, but it has fun with its premise. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. The special effects are funny. The characters are charming. And the transformation of this guy from major into leprechaun uh, is really funny okay all right 
Let's vote it. Wait, wait, wait. Before we vote, because I feel like somebody could sell me on either. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Matt, what are your kind of grievances with Luck at the Irish compared to Don't Look Under the Bed? Once again, Don't Look Under the Bed was held away from us as viewers for a really long time. And there was a time where I really wanted to watch this movie and I couldn't. Luck of the Irish was still pretty accessible. You could catch it on TV pretty often. That's why I'm always so excited to gravitate towards Don't Look Under the Bed is because... It was just this toy that was taken away from you by your mother and you couldn't play with it for a while. So that's why I love it so much. Um, was it was this forbidden fruit of the Disney Channel original movies and now we can all enjoy it. I like it though. I feel like I've seen it so many more times than Look at the Iris, so I'm really divided. It sounds like it's also like genuinely trying to be scary for kids, which is interesting. The only movie that I can really think of that's similar at all in trying to be like a genuine horror movie that's accessible for like a whole family is that one that came out on Cartoon Network that had the uh, Haley Joel Osment's sister in it. Um, I do think it's interesting. There's a lot of similarities between Don't Look Under the Bed and the Nickelodeon original movie, uh, Crybaby Lane. I actually had them mixed up in my head as they were both uh, aired on television a couple of times and then pulled uh, for over 15 years. Between those two, and I know this is a little off topic, Crybaby Lane at least had a good premise. Like Don't Look Under the Bed really did not age well for me upon a rewatch. And it did not really live up to this like urban legend hype to me. Whereas Crybaby Lane at least had like a mystery and like this compelling element. There's too many fantasy elements in Don't Look Under the Bed that don't really make it scary to anyone older than eight or nine, maybe. Uh, You're swaying me, Nate. A thing that always made me scared on like, I guess the big three uh, kids network was um, the certain Goosebumps episode. I think it was called The Mask. I think I also read the book. The thought of the mask getting stuck on that kid's face like forever was so terrifying to me for some reason. Just something being stuck on you that you can't get rid of. I am casting my vote for the luck of the Irish. You guys take it away from here. Yeah, I also think I am. Yeah, luck of the Irish. Go for it. I was going to vote don't look under the bed. Oh, thank you, Josh. Don't look under the bed. Three piece. Let's go, Matt. Alden didn't vote yet. I didn't vote, but I am I am with you, Josh. Oh my gosh. So don't look under the bed. Move it on. Yes, I'm all for it. See Don't look under the bed is Matt's days of future past. <laughs> <laughs> See, I doubt I doubt myself. I don't do this every, you know, week with you guys. So I'm always thinking, eh, I gotta let them take their control. But hell yeah! Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off versus Xenon, the girl of the 21st century. Oh, come on, dude. Xenon, hands down. Does Eddie Million Dollar Cook-Off have, like, a song that you can sing? No, it doesn't. No, but it's a great movie about cooking where he makes purple goo. It's about cooking and sports. It's about, uh, you know... Being able to tell your parents that you're interested interested in something that they don't really want you to be interested in or don't understand. I think that there's a lot of really great themes to that. You can believe in other things besides what your parents think you should do. And to me, that's that's a better message for kids than like whatever Xenon's trying to say. I, it's a little convoluted. And although it's iconic and I understand the love for it, you want to talk about movies being too girly? This, this didn't strike a chord with me, bro. Too girly? Hmm. Sounds a little sexist, Nate. Xenon saves a space station, Nate. Like, Eddie is just, like, worried if he, oh, is cooking girly or not. Like, Xenon's out of this world, literally, 
solving an international space station crisis meanwhile booking a rock star to come perform yeah and this little bitch eddie is just crying over like his like pots and pans or some shit <laughs> we need a girl power in that final four all right brink versus smart house here's your girl power josh shut the fuck up smart house is winning brink's cool and all and i really like the way it's shot it's definitely one of the more unique sports movies on this bracket but smart house i will stand by is the best directed movie on this entire bracket it has the same kind of cheesy elements like in luck of the irish but plays them up it also has an interesting sci-fi premise and a take on AI that Alden said was somewhat accurate for pre-2000. And I think it's really cool. Does the smart house have a gender? Or Pat. It's Pat. You're not our mom, Pat. You're not our mom, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Leela from Futurama, Josh. That show that you didn't watch. She's been married four times. But anyway, smart house is going. <laughs> House, house, the house is jumping. Yeah, you want to talk about songs? That song's a bop. <laughs> yeah, speaking of songs, True Confessions up against High School Musical. Okay, now y'all can laugh. Now you can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Who do we think went on to have a better career? Shia LaBeouf or Zac Efron? Well, I don't know. Have any of you guys gotten high and watched Zac Efron's show on Netflix where he just travels around to different places around the world? I haven't gotten high and watched it, but I did watch it. It's it's hilarious because it's just, you know, handsome Zac Efron with his big blue eyes going to all these remote third world countries and just having these epiphanies thinking, oh, so places are different than the U.S. And they're like, yes, Zac. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just the it's the cringiest, funniest watch ever. I had it it. Dude, this is this is a given. If we're looking at decom movies, I would say High School Musical. Josh, do you remember when Zac Efron was on uh, Entourage? Oh yeah, <laughs> he took a call from Ari Gold, and he was like, "Hey Ari, you're not getting my lunchbox deal anymore." It was literally like right after High School Musical. Yeah, it was. I think we've got quite the final four here. Don't look under the bed. Xenon, Smart House, and High School Musical. These are it. This is the final four. We are so close to determining what the best Disney Channel original movie of our past is. Matt, I need to hear you fight for Don't Look Under the Bed over Xenon. Okay, well, see, now I'm split. What I was just about to say was that this is the point in the show where I stop thinking about myself and start thinking about the listeners and the viewers. So that's where I would argue Xenon. But if we're really coming down to myself, once again, Don't Look Under the Bed, it is a forgotten gem, and I don't feel like it gets enough attention as it. this is a show about spotlighting underrated films. This is its one moment. But dude, Xenon, though, I'm going to argue xenon over don't look under the bed damn so believe it or not from everything you guys have said about don't look under the bed i once again am going to place a uh, a movie i haven't seen above one that i have seen nice i believe it yeah i i get that like xenon has its following and it has its fans and it garnered two sequels which very, very, very early into the success of Disney Channel original movies. That's saying a lot. And I, I think this was the first like Disney Channel original movie to have like an original idea that had this like fantasy sci-fi element and wasn't so grounded to the like problems of teens. And I think that that's cool. And I'm glad that it got 
the success that it did. If any Disney Channel original movie is more dated than Halloween Town, it's Xenon. I could hardly get through a rewatch of the first Xenon, and I don't think the sequels would age much better. At least Don't Look Under the Bed has that urban legend uh, mythos to it. There's something fascinating about the existence of this film. It's kind of lost media, kind of forgotten media. The fact that it's readily accessible now is really exciting, and if you haven't seen this or you have vague memories of it, give it a watch. Even though I don't think it's aged very well either. It's more interesting and more unique compared to all these movies than Xenon. Yeah, since I haven't seen some of these movies, I kind of been going by which movies that I would want to watch. Like, I'm probably going to pick Don't Look Under the Bed because that just that just seems more intriguing to me than um, Xeon, which I think sounds cool, but I doubt has aged very well. As Nate said, the Don't Look Under the Bed didn't either, but I don't know, comparing the two, one seems more of like a time capsule for that era. It feels like there's more of a reason to watch Don't Look Under the Bed if you didn't see these when you were a kid than there would be to go back and watch Xenon because the fan base for that largely is fans of it because they grew up with it. Wow, my hands are like cupped over like my face right now in shock that like the opinion has swayed towards Don't Look Under the Bed. We support you, Matt. How the turn? How the turntables? I'm voting it. I'm voting it. Yes, Don't Look Under the Bed. Don't Look Under the Bed is moving on to the finals. Now we've got Smart House versus High School Musical. Two goliaths of Disney Channel original movies. This alone could be like the final. Ooh. I guess if we're going blow for blow, just this one movie, just High School Musical and neither of its sequels, I feel like I want to say Smart House. I was thinking it this way and it probably isn't fair because I've probably seen High School Musical more than Smart House, but I thought, okay, what's instantly the worst scene in each of these movies? I couldn't think of something in Smart House off the bat, but in High School, you go right to that Gabriella song. Oh, <laughs> where she's up on the garden that Zac Efron showed her. Yeah. <laughs> We have zero bad scenes versus one bad scene. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I do think there is some like unwanted baggage and cheese to Smart House. And because of like the time difference between these movies, I think it's over a decade, actually. Uh, High School Musical has that more um, modern kind of production value to it. But I'm going to end with like my argument here with this. If Disney Plus were to announce one of these films was either getting like a remake or a soft sequel or a reboot or something. Um, they've tried with High School Musical, the series, the show or whatever. It's terrible. It's literally, I couldn't get through the first episode. The brand value of High School Musical started off so strong. The fact that this movie was the phenomenon that it was is awesome. It garnered a sequel uh, that was straight to Disney Channel original movie, and then a year after that, a theatrically released film. It, it escalated and grew. But I think you can also look at High School Musical as the turning point in Disney Channel as a whole. And I think the quality that has dropped after or post High School Musical is a little more similar to what you can get on the other uh, children networking programs like Cartoon Network work and Nickelodeon than before. I think Disney Channel lost its niche after this because every show became, okay, we need to make sure that we can sell these these child actors as singers, as performers. They have a show, they have merchandise, and you look at shows like Austin and Allie, and while they have a lot of talent behind them, they're not as good as like even Stevens. They, there's a reason they don't last as long. The whole like Hannah Montana phenomenon came and went, and every single show needed to have a teen pop star. I think High School Musical did a lot of negative for the for the entertainment of 
children like content. And I think Smart House has a couple of interesting ideas and it's something I'd like to see done again. Yes. Yes. No, I completely agree with you, Nate. A great point. Like if we're looking at DCOMs and what they represent in original storylines and just true and fresh and how High School Musical came in and kind of shook it up, a good way, but also kind of a bad way of the heart of all of this, I'm voting Smart House over High School Musical. Totally. I am going to say though, if this was High School Musical 2, no cap, I'd switch. I'd switch votes right now. I'm going to go for the little indie sci-fi darling. Hell yeah. Her is the best movie of the decade. Speaking of Hannah Montana... Uh, Miley Cyrus does have a cameo in High School Musical. In the second, in the second one. Did you know Miley Cyrus is in Big Fish? Oh yeah, yeah, she is. She's uh, one of like the, with the little kids when they go up to see the witch's house. She's one of the little girls. Isn't isn't um Ashley Tisdale in Donnie Darko? Yes, she asked that question at the uh, thing Patrick Swayze's hosting. Yes. Cool. I do want to give a shout out though. I did say that Smart House was the best directed movie on this bracket. I'm glad no one brought up Kenny Ortega because I think he's one of the most talented musical directors in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, High School Musical is really good, but it's coming from a guy who did a, a, like Newsies. Like this dude's a legend. You can tell why the brand has completely shifted because of his vision. I think he uh, also directed um, Michael Jackson's This Is It tour, which unfortunately never uh, came to fruition. But he, I think he was like the director that he did hocus pocus too right mm -hmm. yep. yes wow and the descendants guys duh what is kenny ortega like at parties like i would love to just see that dude drunk and like give him the ox and just like see what he comes up with it's gonna be some great 80s show tunes i guarantee it do you think he can dance as well as he directs other people to dance wait he's doing it Dirty Dancing remake? Whoa. Oh, good. Interesting. Kino incoming. The best two Disney Channel original movies, Don't Look Under the Bed and Smart House. Didn't think it would get down to these two, honestly. I don't know if anyone could have predicted this. <laughs> yeah, this is wild. What's interesting is that both of the endings of these movies are very similar. It's basically looking at this um like almost like a holographic or or a transparent character yeah w w one is an imaginary friend and one is this ai that runs a house and it's a character standing up to both of them and saying hey i'm letting go from you you have no control over me anymore Oof, this is tough, but I really, really love how far Don't Look Under the Bed has come. But I feel like most decom people, the people who are tuning in and listening in and know and enjoy these movies would want Smart House. I think it's the better directed film, so I'm going to say that. I feel like Smart House also has a stronger cultural footprint than Don't Look Under the Bed, because Don't Look Under the Bed has that whole, like, yeah, the urban legend thing, how it was lost media for a while. But Smart House was always like low-key celebrated as one of the best Disney Channel originals. It's awesome. It's like the mom from Married with Children gone crazy evil robot mode. And it's awesome. Like, it's actually great. It rides its premise all the way. Although it's a little cheesy, it has a lot of fun with, like, the ideas and what, like, this uh, slightly futuristic technology can do to better improve people's lives, but also worsen people's lives. And, uh, yeah, when Elon Musk makes the Tesla home, I want people to look back on smart house as a warning sign can you imagine if the entire smart house was just elon musk and he was just like um yeah uh do you want to uh do you want a smoothie yeah i'll uh, i'll make that now you're not real elon you're not real you're not our dad i don't think elon musk can come up with human names accessible enough for actual people <laughs> well enough to make a smart house like pat that's too simple uh 
What's his son's name? Oh, X X Ash. Yeah, it's X Ash something twelve. I'm happy to see Don't Look Under the Bed uh, taking out some of my personal favorites and getting this far as well. Um, I, I think that it's it's one to watch if you haven't. But uh, Smart House is actually good. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, just for that little passive aggressive comment, I'm voting don't look under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want Smart House to win, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure I'm with Smart House on this one. We did it. Hooray. This was a good this was a good choice. Can't thank you enough, Matt, for joining us on this escapade, creating this bracket, handpicking these movies, and dubbing smart house as the greatest disney channel original movie three months in the making of this and it has been an honor and i can't wait to come back in another three months i don't even know what uh bracket or theme will be but um i look forward to coming back and look you know matt i actually have a really 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 great idea shout outs to our other s tier guest of season one nicholas Rorman, for coming up with this concept i think next time we have you on we're going to guess your top 10 favorite movies of all time. Ooh, I'm down for that. I like that. That's a, that'll be a good one. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for having me. For the folks listening, check out Hoot and a Half. And for the people who are listening, continue to listen to these guys. They're awesome. They're amazing. They're brilliant. They're so insightful when it comes to film. I love talking with them. You guys are the best. I love you guys. I also got to shout out Hoot and a Half's merch store. Really inspiring. Best podcast merch I've seen to date. It looks awesome the aesthetic is nailed it's not just like typical hoodies and t-shirts they've got these sexy crew necks it, it it's good stuff it's actually worth buying we're sold out we're sold out right now but we're gonna be coming out with the second line and a whole new edition of so be sure to check it out when it comes out hopefully soon. i was i was actually listening to the dr phil episode while i was on my break at work and i i was like does he actually do it the whole time like oh my god he, he did it jason is unbelievable he never he never stops to commit all right well thank you everyone for watching this week's episode of duel of the takes be sure to check the links in the description Thank you for listening to today's episode of Duel of the Takes. Next week, we'll be making a top 15 breakup albums list with the band Mars Council for a Valentine's Day special event. If you want part in the discussion, check out our Discord server and Instagram in the description below. Special thanks to Anchor.fm for sponsoring today's episode. And remember, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.